up, my name's Ben, and you'll listen to file 24 of the YYY files. This file belongs to, well, we're heading to a new continent this time, as I speak to another Stoke fan from overseas, although this one we've had to convert. Now he's ours though, and he's as passionate as the rest of us, and he's ready to talk about his journey with the Potters. Uh, isn't that right, Shirag Gokal? Evening, Ben. Uh, firstly, thanks so much for having me on. Very excited to speak with you for the first time. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into it. Let's do it. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased you're here. So, so just as a bit of background, we'll get into why later. You said that this was your first conversation with a Stoke fan, verbally. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's it's uh, one of the main reasons I want to come on here is to talk one Stoke fan to another. It's one thing to be on uh, to be on Twitter and, <laughs> and and have a have a dialogue there, but uh, to talk to someone, it's 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 nice and uh, a new experience. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, I'm really excited as well. And me being the first person that you spoke to about Stoke properly. I'm the one under pressure, mate, so don't worry about that. <laughs> anyway, so, the YYY files are Stoke City stories, and they're told by you. Without people like Chirag, the files just couldn't be possible. That's why I'm asking for you to share your story too. If you want to appear on a show like Chirag and create your file, head to the website and click create your file. That's the yyyfiles.com, or on all social media at the YYY files, or email the yyyfiles at mail.com if you've got any questions. All addresses and handles have no dashes, no spaces, and no caps in them. So, mate, my first question, as ever, why, why, why are you a Stoke fan? And I want to know from the beginning. It's been a, a little bit of a journey. <laughs> first thing is Stoke City was is not the first football club that I, I supported. I started mm. watching football in about 2003. There were only two teams that I knew at the time, Manchester United and Arsenal. We all use a little bit of schoolboy logic in choosing our teams, I think, at that age, when you're around 10, 11, 12, or even younger. As it happens, uh, Man United had a South African in their team, Quentin Fortune. Mm-hmm. So I eventually chose them, and I supported them until 2010. So there was a bit of an overlap in my time supporting United and uh, watching and getting to know Stoke City. So basically, I only found out about Stoke City in around 2006 or 2007, and I was playing FIFA 05. What a game that was. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed 06 even more when I got it. So at the time, there was something called, uh, I I think there still is a career mode, and Mm -hmm. at that time, you could only start with one of the lower teams. Uh, so, <laughs> League, one, League One or League Two? No, no. The team I started with was Scunthorpe United. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know if it was the name. Don't judge me. <laughs> so I went for them, and then um, I got promoted in the career mode, League One. Oh, sorry, League Two, League One. And then I had the options of choosing Championship teams, and I said, let me mix it up a bit. Let me see what other teams there are here. I couldn't really tell you why, definitively why I chose Stoke. Maybe it was the name, maybe it was simple sounding, maybe I liked the badge. This is the team that I went for and I just started uh, playing with them, did well with them. And then uh, the following years, I think the 2006-2007 season, I just happened to look at the championship log. Stoke were in the mix for that, uh, those playoff positions. This is in real life, yes. 
That's right. This is real life now, 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. And if I remember, on the last day of the season, I think they just missed out and they finished eighth or something. Mm-hmm. They missed out on the playoffs. This was all just tentative. I wasn't doing it every week. And then the next season comes about, uh, 2007, 2008. And around March or April, again, I look at the championship table. And I have a look. And uh, it's quite interesting because this team that I chose on FIFA, that I'm not a supporter of, but <laughs> one that just caught my fancy, are in the running, not just for the playoffs, but automatic promotion. Mm. And there was the chance of this team, this obscure team, obscure to me, actually going into the promised land. And uh, I think for at least six weeks, I must have been checking each week after watching the United games to see how are Stoke doing. And I think they've got some key results in those weeks. I don't know if the Coventry and the Wolves uh, results were um, around that time. Yeah, and then came down to the last day. And I was basically just checking. I was actually refreshing the league table and the, and the live scores every couple of minutes to see if they would do it. And, and they did it. I had a joke with my friends at school and I said, hey, my, my second team is now in the Premier League and then what are you <laughs> on about? Because uh, some of them also used to play FIFA and they chose teams and they kind of got uh, like a soft spot, not actual supporters, but a soft mm-hmm. spot. The one yeah. guy liked uh, Torquay United. Oh, okay. They, they didn't do quite so well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, he, he was mouthing off a little bit. So uh, I gave it back to him <laughs> when they did go down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I just used to joke with them and say my, my second team. But of course, I was a, a Manchester United supporter. Mm. I was chuffed to see Stoke City, this team. Stoke City in the Premier League. And I said, you know what, now that they're here, for the last two seasons I've been checking their scores. Mm. Let me check their scores routinely, just just like that. And if there are any live games that are, are selected of Stoke City for uh, Sky Sports or whatever because those games uh, are usually lunchtime kickoff or evening kickoff so we get them here on our channel which is uh, Supersport and uh, the first game I watched was uh, Stoke's game at home to Everton it was the fourth match of our season mm. we lost 3-2 uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the game where we scored from two uh, throw-ins and it was interesting because I had only watched one Stoke game before, which was the home game against Crystal Palace in the promotion season. They lost that one. Uh, Glenn Whelan scored a banger. And that's that's the only time I'd watched him prior to this. And I just see Rory Delap on, on the touchline. And it's the first time I'm seeing this. And he's got a towel in his hand. And he's wiping the ball. I have no idea what I'm about to see. This left me in shock. Rory Delap throws the ball and it hits the crossbar <laughs> you can't make this up I almost fell off the couch I could not believe it I knew who Rory Delap was because I know yeah. he used to play for Southampton and mm. Southampton uh, of course were in the Premier League but I didn't know about this Delap throw and I didn't know how crucial it was for Stoke to get into the Premier League let alone stay there in that first season oh yeah yeah. But I loved it. It was it was fantastic. It was mm. awesome. Delap's a player that uh, I I grew to like. 
Incidentally, the second game that I watched of Stoke was another live game because the the uh, the three pm kickoffs were difficult for me to watch because it, it's mm. Stoke City. It's not pop. They're not popular, so mm-hmm. they're not preferred during those slots. And we only had like maybe three or four channels. Uh, so my second uh, game of uh, viewing Stoke City was a home game to Tottenham. And uh, we were 19th, I think, and they were 20th. They only had two points. They were struggling under their manager, one day Ramos at the time. And so this game was, a, I think, a late kickoff on a Sunday. That was a good game. I have a few memories of that game. It was quite interesting. <laughs> the first one being uh, we got a penalty in the first half and Gareth Bale was playing left back at the time not the winger as we as we know him to be now mm-hmm. and he got sent off and Danny Higginbottom uh, stepped up to take the spot kick the interesting thing here was you know that old adage about a cold wet windy night in Stoke yeah. and it was really windy this day and <laughs> Danny Higginbottom I'm not making this up he had to take the ball and replace it on the spot, I counted four times. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> and he absolutely banged it perfectly into the corner when he yeah. had to take it. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Mm. I loved it. Then they scored a goal. I think it was offside. Darren Ben scored. He was offside. I was very upset about it. <laughs> and then second half comes in. Mama Sidibe finds himself on the wing, puts in a lovely ball. My man Delap is there at the far post to knock it in and uh, mm. that celebration was so simple but so iconic uh, the one of him in the net uh, I think Kitson was behind him it's one of my favorite big uh, Stoke City pictures and there was one more incident in that game where there were 11 minutes of injury time and remember Tottenham already down to 10 men mm. and I think they got someone else sent off I, I don't know if it was Dawson so they were down mm. to 9 men and we had a penalty in uh, injury time. I don't know which minute injury time, but there were 11 minutes added on. Ricardo Fuller takes the penalty this time, not not Higgy. Fuller hits the one post, which then hits the opposite post. Yeah. <laughs> and the rebound falls to him, and he whacks it, and he hits the crossbar. And <laughs> it was amazing, wasn't it? Ronaldinho, eat your heart out, mate. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, we really are a banter club, but I wouldn't have it any other way. That was an amazing game. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember that, actually. He couldn't have done that again if he tried. I tell you what, you've recalled those Stoke games as if they'd happened yesterday. That was incredible. Like, so many fans listening to this are going to hear that back and, and almost have pictures in front of their eyes being able to see that game again. So it was those sort of games then that, that sort of piqued your interest at first and I'm guessing tipped the balance between Man United and Stoke then, right? It did. Uh, that's exactly how it happened. Uh, there were a few live games, uh, only a few in that first season of Stoke City. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd, ch- I'd always check the league table and check to see their results and stuff like that. I'd watch Sky Sports just to see if they'd signed anybody. In January they signed... Uh, Matthew Etherington and James mm-hmm. Beattie and I was surprised because I thought Etherington was a good player and a good <laughs> player for West Ham. We got him. I was uh, quite excited about that. And James Beattie I knew because um, he was also at Southampton when I started watching football. So, yeah. And uh, there was a Boxing Day game in that first uh, season between Stoke City and Man United. And uh, 
I was kind of torn between the two. I won't lie to you, but I was angling towards United because that was my team and Stoke mm. is a team I had a soft spot for, so mm-hmm. to speak. And uh, Stoke did really well in that game. They went mm-hmm. toe-to-toe with United, gave them a good old battle. I remember Rooney and Ronaldo were both lucky not to be sent off. Mm-hmm. They were a bit naughty. I think the one had a nibble, nibble at Wilco. I think he stamped on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And funny enough, Wilco does something later on and he gets sent off. Yeah, it's, I remember that. It's still no no at this point. And then I think Carlos Tevez scores with a couple of minutes to go. Yeah. And United won. So I was, I was happy because I knew United had to win. And being a United supporter was important. Hmm. But I kind of felt bad for Stoke. And it's not a normal feeling to have when you've just got a, a soft spot for a team. Mm. But you, you, you kind of feel that defeat with them. So that was a strange one. And maybe that was like a like a early start of things to come in the future. As you were talking about the tipping of the balance uh, between the two teams, I think that happened the next season, mm. the 2009-2010 season. And uh, more store games began to be uh, televised. So you can see a bit more of them, understand them, know the players and all of that, understand a bit more about the club, the owners, the fans. And all of this, it just struck me as as a good club, a community club, a club that was painted as something it really isn't. It's a club that appears ugly on the outside. And yet when you're on the inside, it's completely different. Mm. Yeah, so that's when those like raw feelings started to come in for Stoke City and I thought this is a team I can see myself supporting. I loved watching United. They played some fantastic stuff around that time. They were champions three years on the bounce. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel like my club. And I didn't want to support a team just because it was winning. I didn't want my support of a football team to be conditional on winning trophies. I've got nothing uh, against United, they're a good club as well, but it didn't feel like my club. And I started to develop more and more raw feelings for Stoke City. I became more emotionally invested. And then it just came to me this idea that I want to own a Stoke City shirt. And I actually acted on it. I got in touch with my uncle, I said, he stays in Portugal, so I, I figured if he gets it for me, there's no career fees in addition to the actual cost of the mm. shirts. He can bring it down for me when he comes for the World Cup. Remember 2010 World Cup? Mm -hmm. Uh, That year was in South Africa, so he came down for that. Yeah. And he responded to me and he says, I don't even know what Stoke City is. Why don't you send me the link? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so eventually I I did. I sent him the link. He ordered the shirt for me. He brought it for me, gave it to me in my hand. I put the shirt on and I made up my mind. I feel like I've, I felt like I was baptized as a Stoke City supporter in that moment, <laughs> and it's it's been like that ever since, and I've got no regrets. No regrets at all. Well, I, you know what? You explained that very well. How yeah, you were a Man United supporter as as a as a younger fan, and there's there's reasons for that. You know, with them being on telly all the time, they'll have been one of the only teams you'll have seen. I imagine. That's um, right. Yeah. Them winning all the time, I assume, felt good. I assume a lot of people in your area, because just to be clear, you're based in South Africa, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So there will have been, I assume, proportionally, compared to someone like Stoke, a lot of Manchester United fans. Or is that not the case? No, actually, the demographic in South Africa, obviously, it's a very diverse country. You've got uh, black people, white people, Indian people. Mm. We have a large Indian contingent. In fact, outside of India, we have the biggest, in Durban, the city where I'm from, the mm. biggest Indian uh, demographic um, here in, in Durban. Oh, wow. and, and a lot of them are torn between either United or Liverpool. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, now at the time when I started watching football, I didn't know about Liverpool because they weren't competing for the league at the time. They eventually got to that stage. Mm-hmm. It was either United or Liverpool with the odd Arsenal or Chelsea fan in between. And mm-hmm. it was just the big four clubs, basically. And there may be the odd old-timer who supports, like, a, say, a Ipswich or something, who were good in the 70s and 80s or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mainly United and Liverpool. So that's amazing then. You've got this club who are successful and well-known in the country and then it's just a selection off a game of FIFA. And you're a Stoke fan and it's sort of lit the blue touch paper and there you go, one thing led to another. Luckily Stoke got promoted to the Premier League as you said at that time. You started to take notice, uh, they started to be on tally and it sort of grew from there and then here you are today sat in a Stoke shirt talking to a Stoke fan who's from Stoke talking yeah. about Stoke City on a podcast it's amazing really how had you have chosen I don't know maybe you didn't do quite so well with Scunthorpe and you stayed with Scunthorpe in career mode maybe you've been a fan of Scunthorpe it's just the fine lines I guess in life yeah it is like that I couldn't possibly tell you why I chose Stoke I can say maybe the name sounded nice but I don't really know that that, that was the case why I decided to watch them why I decided to check the results mm. uh, so routinely I couldn't explain that to you. In 2011, I got Facebook for the first time. Mm. Actually, 2010, but 2011, I said, because this was my first year supporting Stoke, and I kind of felt like detached from the club because I had no one to connect with within mm. the club. It was just me watching a team on the other side of the equator. <laughs> so I started to add randomly on Facebook uh, Stoke City fans. And from all over, I joined groups, I added some of the locals, people from Fenton and whatever other places in, in, in Stoke and Trent there are. There were a lot of, uh, from the Nordic countries, uh, a lot of mm. uh, fan clubs there. I learned that we have a big uh, presence in the uh, Scandinavian countries. Mm. And I got chatting to a Norwegian guy and I asked him the question, I said, why do you support Stoke? And the answer was a bit corny and like something like Mr. Miyagi from the Karashi Kid would say. <laughs> but these words will stay with me forever. And you know what? He said to me, he says, sometimes you don't choose the club, the club chooses you. Mm. And those are words that still stay with me today. And I really do believe that. Do you want to elaborate on that and, and almost explain why, I guess? Because I've got my feeling as to why that might be the case, but just for anybody else listening, maybe. Um, I, I couldn't, again, definitively tell you, but it's a club that just resonated with me for some reason. Maybe it was the fact that they're not painted what the way they were in the media. Mm. They were vilified for reasons that were, were, not, uh, were not valid. They thrived on this us, us against the world mentality. Mm. And yet, there was no intentional 
or, or no intention for us to make the world hate Stoke City and yet it just happened and mm. and they almost thrived on that and I don't know there was something about that so attractive to me and this is a real community club that really passionately cares for its own and so it wasn't just stuff on the pitch it was stuff off the pitch as well that drew me to this club so I guess in that way the club did choose me I guess I guess that's a fair point because the club knows what it is and will fight any portrayal against that and I guess by being that way by expressing themselves for being they are who they are they will pick up fans such as yourself along the way in in ways like teams like Man United won't because I'm not saying they're 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 a plastic club or a glory hunting club far from it you, you know there's a lot of people who who will feel very similar about mm. you know Man United chose me but I guess it's just the way that Stoke are will suit some personality types that's right yeah and I guess luckily for for Stoke City and I think that's why it's so successful being where I am in Stoke-on-Trent you know it genuinely reflects the people of the area as you spoke to local Stoke fans how much did you learn about Stoke-on-Trent itself I mainly spoke to them about the football I hmm. I tried to speak to them learn like the different suburbs like uh, Fenton Hanley Burslem I think Burslem is more Portway rather mm-hmm. than uh, Stoke City yeah some people were just jokingly with me um, say that uh, I, I would ask them how we stoke on Trent and they'll say it's a dump they would just joke <laughs> just a joke gallows humor that's another thing I love about us no one can beat us at that gallows mm. humor we are the masters of it yeah yeah but apart from that uh, and maybe a few dialects a of duck I don't know if I said that right <laughs> oh no perfect perfect yeah. <laughs> So I picked up a few things uh, like that, but um, mainly the talk was about the football. I can understand that being the case, to be fair, and I can imagine why Stoke fans won't have said much about the area, certain Stoke fans anyway, other than, you know, it's not that great in Stoke, because that's the ethos that we're sort of sold. We're sort of told that the area is not that great, or certainly back then it was anyway specifically when we first got promoted to the Premier League I, I think you know the area was known for being one of the worst in the United Kingdom yeah. um, I think Stoke City being in the Premier League certainly helped the area get more recognition yeah. over over the years don't get me wrong like Stoke has always been known for it's like the pottery industry the pottery, and, yeah. yeah exactly and all things like that but I think I'd like to think anyway people speak much higher of Stoke in more recent years than they would have done perhaps 10 years ago um, mm. and I and I think it's because you're right we had this underdog mentality and we sort of own that and people own that not not in a negative way to bash them about themselves you're right they've got that sort of sense of humour they've got that attitude of like nobody likes us and we don't care <laughs> like it doesn't matter we'll, we'll just do what we want and we don't need other people around us bigging us up to be successful. I think that says a lot about Stoke City. Look at how well they did in the Premier League. And, yeah. you know, some people from Stoke are so successful, having come from what is portrayed to be a, a naff area and, and fair place to them for breaking the mould, getting out and doing Stoke proud, really, the same way that the club's done. So, over the years then, as you started growing more and more into being a Stoke fan... And with Stoke doing so well, we mentioned 
on the podcast before about Wembley, Europe, Stoke Alona, everything like that. Your passion for Stoke must have only grown and grown. Oh yeah, it became massive. I mean, once I baptized myself in that Stoke uh, in that Stoke shirt, yeah, it it definitely grew. I, I really was passionate about it. So in those first couple of years, and this me actually supporting the club now, I still had the problem where I couldn't watch all the games. Mm. And uh, so, say in that first uh, season, uh, 2010-11, my first year supporting Stoke City, the first three games weren't shown on TV. We lost all of them. And then we had a Monday night fixture against Aston Villa. We were the only team that didn't have any points at this time. Yeah. I mean, it's my first three games supporting this club. I commit to you and you give me zero points. <laughs> I was so <laughs> Yeah. So I remember that game against Villa, and uh, Ben, this is one of the closest memories to my heart of Stoke City, and so many of them came, ironically, in that first season of me supporting Stoke City, 2010-11, it's such a special season to me, Mm -hmm. and it's not just because of the cup run, it's it's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. This was the first sign of this game against Aston Villa. Before the game starts, I see the lineup. And then I find out that Tony Pulis has lost his mother that day mm. and won't be coming for the match. And uh, then I saw it uh, because the, the camera panned to the, to the scoreboard where mm. it said, uh, Tony Pulis cannot be here tonight. Please give the team your, your best support and condolences to him and all of that. Mm. We go one nil down. Uh, Stuart Downing scores a great header. So, yeah, one nil down at halftime. We've got no points on the board. And then, all of a sudden, I come back. I must have gone to get a drink of water or something to eat or something at halftime, as I do. Mm-hmm. I come back and I see Tony Pulis is there. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is unbelievable. How much does this man care about this club? How much does he care about his duty? And not just him, all of them. Mm. Of course, we, we Stoke fans know what happened. Uh, uh, we scored two goals in the last last 10 minutes. Kenwin got his first goal. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Robert Hood right at the end in the yeah. stoppage time with that goal. And that got us our first three points of the season. Yeah, And there's a picture, you'll find it, uh, of the Stoke team celebrating. They all piled on top of one another. It's mm. one of my favorite picks just like mm. the like the Delap one that night that game it really was special for me and it endeared me to Tony Pulis that much more and the club mm. that much more and to think that we lost our first three games that year and we ended it by qualifying for Europe I mean what a club what a yeah. what a what a thing you can write it it was amazing. I really enjoyed that first season. I loved the way we played in in that uh, first season. When I say first season, I mean the third season in the Premier League, my first supporting the club. Of course, we had our two wingers and uh, our two centre forwards, uh, Matty Etherington and Jermaine Pennant, mm. uh, with Jones and Walters up front. And then you had that little bit of fairy dust with the likes of Ricardo Fuller and, and Tunchai. Mm. who I liked, I liked both of, the, both of those players and uh, it was a, just a very nicely balanced team and 
I don't think they played bad football at all, Ben. I thought no. we played with some good stuff. Yeah, they really did. I think that Stoke team, particularly in the early Premier League years, will always be known for Rory Delap's throw-ins, and I can see that, especially the first half of the first season. I think it was something like, was it six of the first eight goals or something like that, or maybe more than that, that were scored from Delap's throw-ins. And yeah. it, it was remarkable, you know. Without him, we wouldn't have had any chance of staying up. Maybe we relied less and less on them as time went by. I definitely think particularly towards that season, the 2010-11 season, we, we still utilised them, don't get me wrong, of course you would. But you're right, we played some amazing stuff. People talk about Stoke being physical, but in terms of a club having two flying wingers and two great headers of the ball, Kenwin Jones, like... For me, an extremely underrated Stoke striker, you know. I think his influence only dwindled because we changed the way we wanted to play football. And yeah. it just, he was so effective in the air. It, and having two wingers who were able to put some fantastic crosses in, it, it was just a side to football. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really was. It was great to watch. Like some of those goals, I was watching some of them back today actually. I can't I was remember just- who. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was weird. I actually have. So, as we speak, when the uh, the coronavirus pandemic, obviously, and recently Stoke have released the the promotion season and the season that we first stayed up. Their season highlights are on the Stoke website. You can go watch them now. And I assume that they'd release more and more over the coming days, and they haven't done that yet, as as we're recording. And I actually have the 2010-11 DVD in my drawer. And I was like, oh, I can't wait. I've got to go watch this DVD. And mm. <laughs> I put it on. I think I'm 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 in about November at the moment. But but I just remember this this ball from Pennant. He was running at absolute full pelt. I can't remember what team he was playing against, but he was running at full pelt. Ball just about to go over the byline. Yeah. And he puts in this ball far post. Um, oh, I know which ones. I know. Yeah, which one. you know yes. the one. It's just, it's spectacular. It's put on a plate for Jones, I think it is. And he was on just, the gun line. It, it was West Ham at home. Yeah, that's it. It was. It, it oh, was West Ham at home. Just right after after the uh, Villa game, I remember it. It was amazing. Yeah, exactly. And and you're right. We played some fantastic football. Don't get me wrong. We defended in numbers, and we were physical with teams. We still had Arsenal scared. Yeah, wouldn't change that. No, exactly, and we needed that, and and we just played football not necessarily the way that it's developed these days, where it's more possession based and strangling teams to death. But we were so effective. I think I'm a bit like a of a, of an old man in that regard. I like the conventional wingers such as those two, rather than mm. these inverted ones that we have now, mm. like cut inside and shoot. I, I I like those kind of wingers. I love. The way we played in the, in the, in that year, it showed I think to those who are watching that um, you don't need more than fifty percent possession of the ball no. to be a good team. And I think we were a good team. And you know what, Ben? There was a there was a run of about four games where we got screwed by refereeing decisions mm. and like major ones. Yeah. I don't know if you'd remember. I think Kenwin Jones. We were at uh, Sunderland. And he headed one, and Catamol basically juggled it with both yeah, his hands. Yeah, with his arm, yeah. And it went over the line. Yeah. And it didn't get given. No, nothing. And then Gary Neville not getting sent off. 
Chumji had a goal at Everton. Yeah, yeah, I think Crouch had the ball in his chest and he sort of... Yes. It looked like it went over the line, but he didn't give did. that either. Yeah. Oh. There were so many. And you know what? We were ninth on the last day of the season when we played Wigan at home. I thought, no, we can do these. But they were fighting for uh, survival and they mm. got their win. And we were ninth at the time and it was almost like we got stampeded because we were lying on the floor and then all these teams from below us win their games, go above <laughs> us, and we finish in 13th place. Yeah. There's that old ad- adage that the league table doesn't lie, and I felt that, yeah, it did lie. I felt mm. they, like we were the ninth best team in the Premier League that year, which is why they, that season is so special to me. Yeah, and what else they did in that season, you know, it was fantastic that we nearly oh, finished the way we did, and yeah. the cup run we went on. We went on, that, I think, a decent cup run in the Carling Cup as well that season, but of course there was the FA Cup. And we know that story, but from your point of view, like we know that overseas the FA Cup and and the Premier League, of course, but the FA Cup's a big deal, right? So that cup run for you must have been so exciting. It was amazing. Again, my first season supporting the club, and you you started off the way we have, and it ends the way it does for the cup final. I had a, a test at university to write on that Friday. I couldn't study for it. I couldn't. I was just too <laughs> hyped about the final. The test didn't really matter in the end, but I, I couldn't. I was just so hyped for the for the final. We didn't give the performance I would have liked, but I, I feel like there were reasons for that. I remember Hoot was injured uh, in the game before, just before the the cup final. I know Etherington was forced back, um, like to into fitness. Like uh, we had to get him fit for this game. He was also injured. I think I've, I think the Wolves fans were singing to him, you're not going to Wembley or something. Yeah, I remember. So he was fast-tracked back into the team. Huth was carrying an injury. Pennant picked up an injury during the final. Yeah. So we had things playing against us. And also Man City had not won a trophy for decades. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like us, just as desperate. But mm-hmm. they had so much more quality than us. It was one-way traffic, and they fully deserved their win. But I was so proud that we were part of a day like that. It was amazing. Yeah, it really was. It just, you know, I I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Wembley for the semi-final. I didn't make the final, but I just... I think that's probably the moment for me where I knew I was properly into football. Like, I was a Stoke fan, I guess, by definition, by that time. But I guess... I'd be, how old would I have been in 2011? 15, something like that. And and I was probably at best like a casual fan, I suppose. Yeah. But by that point, I knew. I, I, I just knew that it was just more than that. It was so amazing in that semi-final. And yes, we won 5-0, and you could argue that any, any team winning 5-0 would have thrown anyone over. But it was just from the slow Delilah in the stands when the music was played out to the way that those players celebrated on the pitch and it just even even Wilco missing his kick like and it <laughs> fell straight to Walters and you just think you know what it was just meant to be on that day everything aligned everything exactly. aligned on that day it was just perfect I couldn't believe it when mm. that third one went in when Jones got that third I even went 
Jones was doing his cartwheels. I was doing my <laughs> cartwheels. I went to <laughs> I went to hug my grandmother. I never do. I never do that. I even <laughs> gave her a hug. It was just perfect that day. Everything, but the one thing that upset me a bit was. Out of all the games where you win 5-0, you choose a cup game to do this. So it yeah. does nothing for our goal difference no. in the league. <laughs> no. I was very upset about that. <laughs> but uh, we did give a few hidings that year. We gave West Brom 3-0, Wolves yeah. 3-0, Brighton 3-0, Newcastle 4-0, yeah. Arsenal 3-1, and then, of course, Bolton 5-0. So we handed out a good few beatings and could have yeah. handed out some more. Well, we really did. It, like, And as you say, for me, I think that's possibly my favourite season as well. You'd be hard-pushed to say possibly, for me, 15-16 as well, as I'm sure we'll come on to. But, oh, God, yeah, that, that season for, for Stoke being peak of their own identity, I think, before this new Stoke owner era, like, that's what Stoke was all about. Beating the odds, being more than the sum of their parts, we've mentioned before on this podcast. That's and right, perfectly put, yeah. Yeah, just amazing. And then, of course, the reward was European football. And again, that must have been so important for you as a as a Stoke fan abroad. You know, teams from other countries will have started hearing of us for the first time. Oh, yeah, people people knew about Stoke. I, I think a lot of it was because of the Dilap throw-ins and stuff mm. like that. But um, people had started to like know that I'm a Stoke fan, and it's it's not just like a like a gimmick. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying I'm a Stoke fan. I became a fully fledged Stoke City supporter. A couple of them used to flip me about Stoke and tease me about it sometimes, but it was all in good fun. It was never yeah, yeah. Uh, malicious, and they were chuffed. I think for me as well that uh, my team's in the Europa League and. Uh, could have only dreamt of it at the start of the season. And I remember watching that match between Man City and Tottenham uh, because we needed to know if uh, Man City would win. Yeah. Then only we would get uh, European football. Oh, God, yeah. And guess who scored the decisive goal? Peter Crouch got an (laughs) own goal to send us to Europe and then signs for us. (laughs) Secret Uh, agent Crouch. Yeah. What a man. Oh, I love that man. I just love that man. <laughs> and of course, we had European football and signing someone like Peter Crouch as well. Like, for me, the first player that, that everyone had heard of and we were like, oh my God, okay, we've got to take this pretty seriously now. Like, we're, we're, we're doing good stuff here. And the fact that you can attract a, a player like Crouch. I remember one of my Liverpool sporting friends was uh, chirping me about why would... Peter Crouch, why would any player want to go and stay in Stoke? And I'm like, uh, I gave him an he didn't expect. I said, mate, he doesn't stay in Stoke, he stays in Cheshire. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was correct, Cheshire. Well, definitely initially, I think it was Cheshire. I think eventually he moved down to London when he sort of got tired of staying in Cheshire. But yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. He didn't stay in Stoke, did he? But he certainly played for us and identified with us anyway so i loved it because he was trying to wind me up and i gave him an answer he didn't see coming so big win for me a big dub i think as 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 they would say nowadays (laughs) (laughs) big dub indeed yeah yeah and then of course we had europe and that was fantastic that was a dream i was so proud of how we did i think we made it look easy at times it wasn't Mm. i mean we had to play that uh, hide split 
mm-hmm. and we won both those games 1-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had to play FC Thun. FC Thun were top of the Swiss league when we played them. Mm-hmm. And people will say, oh, a Swiss league, Farmers League, but it's, it's, it's Stoke. 13th mm. place Stoke in the Premier League, Premier League against mm. uh, one of the best teams in their league mm. and uh, we really put them to the sword uh, we won at their place I don't think we played our full team in all of these games because mm. I mean Dan- Danny Pugh started that one <laughs> game and I didn't yeah. expect him to start over Etherington although I don't know if they both played or whatever mm. but uh, um, like even Tom Soares was playing uh, in that second leg and he got an assist and I thought it was so funny because he was <laughs> such a peripheral uh, player in our yeah. squad and oh, I almost forgot he was there because we signed him in the first season 2008 and he was still there playing Europa League football for us and he got an assist but yeah we we did well to to win all of those qualifying matches and then get to the group stage and we we did our uh, we, we did ourselves really proud there as well because I mean teams like Dinamo Kiev and Besiktas should have been hammering us and they didn't I didn't get to see all the Europa League games mm. I actually almost missed the first one because so I told you about our broadcaster Supersport and usually the televised maybe three or four football games on any given night mm. and they hadn't updated correctly uh, which matches were being shown and I just happened to watch channel hopping find out that our game against Dinamo Kiev uh, is being shown and I missed the first 20 minutes of it. I was so upset with Super Sport <laughs> and yeah that, that game was um, it was exciting and heartbreaking at the same time because we went 1-0 up against them and I was shocked because they dominated us for most of that match mm-hmm. and then they got their goal in the end and then the next three games was uh, against Besiktas at home. We won that. And the two against Maccabi Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. So the three games that were, were shown on the sport in the group stages, and then there were three that weren't. And the three that we won were the three that I didn't get to watch. So that's it. Die. But I did get to see Kenwin Jones nodding that uh, equalizer against Dynamo Kiev, and that oh, yeah. confirmed our group stage um, that we were gonna uh, get through from the group stage. Because if mm. we lost, we would have been in big trouble, mm. and I, I don't think we would have uh, qualified. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that Jones goal was special. I loved it, and uh, an- another Jermaine Pennant uh, uh, cross. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, good memories. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously, big challenge then was Valencia. Uh, something we finally got beat, unfortunately. That's where it ended. But again, as you said, we sent weakened sides to play Valencia. And it's not as if we really struggled against them. We only lost 1 0 in each of the games, I think. And some will argue to this day, if we played a full strength team, we'd have beat Valencia and have gone further in that competition. You know, funny enough, a lot of people, and and maybe it's easy for me to say because I didn't travel to to Spain to watch mm. that game, but uh, I, I think Tony Pulis made the right decision. Mm. He put our best team out against Valencia at home. He mm. put both the wingers. He wasn't playing both the wingers uh, in the league games. He did it for this game uh, at home to Valencia, 
he put our best possible team out. We lost 1-0. If you lose 1-0 at home to a team like Valencia, mm. it's very unlikely that you can go there and mm. overturn the deficit uh, just, to, just, just to win and mm. overturn that deficit. So, And also, funny enough, as it happened, I felt in that second leg we played better than we did in the first leg. Mm. With those players that we had, not everyone will, will uh, agree with me, mm. but I remember we had Jones, Jerome, and uh, Fuller as our front, uh, our front three strikers, and mm-hmm. and the players behind them. Arismendi did well, Palacios mm-hmm. did well, Diao and Delap had to play out of position, but they did well. Mm. They gave a good account of themselves. So we don't play a full strength team in every game, but we really did ourselves proud in that competition. I was so thrilled when, because uh, I was watching the draw, and then when we pulled out uh, Valencia from mm. the pot, I, w- I was absolutely, I was thrilled because I was scared we'd get like a metalist car cable or something like that. One of those teams you've mm. not heard of, but that they're really good and that they just smash us up. Mm. So I was thrilled we got Valencia and. Um, that was really exciting that whole experience i loved it oh yeah it really was it like something that's gonna live in stoke fans memory for a long time who knows how long it's going to be before we get in europe again if we ever get in europe again it's something that we've got to hold dear to us and we've got to thank tony pulis and and that team that we've been talking about for for giving us those memories i know that eventually tony pulis left in the coming seasons and we replaced with mark hughes and we sort of changed our football a bit but I played to Pulis. I haven't got a, a bad word to say about Tony Pulis. Like I told you, my, my first uh, memory when I started supporting Stoke, I mean, I told you about that uh, that game against Villa. Yeah. And I've always held him in high regard uh, ever since. He, he had his teams well organized. He was respectful. You could see even when he greeted managers before and after games, mm-hmm. they all respected him. Maybe not uh, Arsene Wenger, but uh, <laughs> I, I think maybe Wenger didn't like him, but deep down he respected him mm. for what he did. Yeah. And so Pulis earned a lot of respect in the footballing fraternity. Yeah, he's someone close to my heart. He's someone I, uh, I like. I became very agitated with him in 2012-13 because we started the league uh, drawing lots of games, but... Mm. By New Year's, we had only lost three games, which was the same as Man United had, who were at the top of the table. We were mm. just drawing too many. We had the best defense in Europe's top five leagues at the time, mm. which was a testament to how well drilled we were. And we were soaking up so much pressure because of mm. the way we played and still managed to keep clean sheet after clean sheet. And then it just went horribly wrong after that. I remember from the second half of that season we only picked up 13 points 13 1 3 i mean that's mm. derby county Awful. form mm. yeah it was so bad and he was doing weird things too like i remember we played a game during that period against everton away and he put walters on the left wing and mm. ryan shorten who was playing well at right back mm. he put him on the right wing yeah so we had no natural width and mm. after the game, we lost that game 1-0. And after the game, he came out and said, 
the strikers weren't getting the service they needed. And I'm thinking, how can you <laughs> possibly... <laughs> you're having a laugh here, aren't you? Yeah. So th- there were things he, he was uh, messing up in 2013. And the game after that, we played Villa at home. And this mm. is one of my most horrific uh, Stoke memories. Because not just the performance that was bad, I was genuinely scared about relegation. Mm because we were, we, we were in big trouble at that stage. We expected to beat Villa and we didn't. Mm. In fact, they played much better than us. They beat us 3-1. Yeah. I, I was so angry after that game. And then we had United at home after that. We lost that and we went down to 16th. We were lucky to play QPR in Norwich in the next two games and that we could beat them. Otherwise, we would have uh, been down. So I think the, the Coates family and I really respect this about the Goats family is even though they're so tight with uh, Tony Pulis and they had such a good friendship, they made the right decision, the hard decision, but the right decision to let Tony Pulis go at the right time. 100%, I think you're right. It was a very frustrating season and, and everything that Pulis started and built had slowly been falling apart. That Villa game in particular, I remember that's the only game I've ever left early for. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I've I've okay. never left a Stoke game early. But I I just thought this this just wasn't Stoke anymore. Even from a technical level, you mentioned the lack of natural width. Your really, biggest belief, yeah. Yeah, and not just the fact that oh, like how are we supposed to win a game like this? People have always said like oh, Stoke are boring, just a long ball team, and that was the first time where I actually seen that and gone. They're right. You know, you know what? Playing like this, yes. you're right. Yeah. yeah, because there was none of that fancy wing play, crossing it into the box, hard defending. The the players, I think, didn't stop playing for Pulis, but you could tell that something was different. They knew something was wrong, yeah. Yeah, and we lost that potency up front as well. And, and ultimately, you're right. Full respect to the Coates family for putting their personal affairs to one side and putting Stoke City first and saying, you know what? the ride we've had with Pulis was great but, but we it's, needed it's a change we needed to ride the momentum that he created and that he wasn't then continuing on and then of course Mark Hughes came and it was a very different Stoke City after that wasn't it yeah it was and uh, yeah, going back to the whole Pulis thing I'm so glad the Coates family did that mm. because it made sure that there was no chance of Tony Pulis ruining what for me has been a fantastic legacy mm. that he's left behind. And recently, I think uh, when Jones, Nathan Jones got sacked, people were talking about Tony Pulis coming back and I was like, oh God, no, oh God, no, please mm. no. Because that would have meant Tony Pulis at some stage, definitely at some stage, if he was employed, would have been hounded out of the club for the mm. third time. Yeah. And I didn't want to see that. So I really did not want him to come back as manager. Mm. I want to remember what the legacy he left us with, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, no, I understand yeah. that. Yeah, and then, of, of course, coming to Hughes, um, that decision that the Colts family made to let Pulis leave mutually, mm. they, they could have, they could have uh, fired him, but they, mm. it was a mutual consent thing. So mm. they, they did it very well as well. And all of that gave me confidence in the Coates family 
and the ability to to make the right decision. So if Mark Hughes was the guy they wanted, I had every faith in them. And I remember watching that interview with Peter Coates and uh, Mark Hughes, that first press conference. And uh, Peter Coates, I, I don't know, he doesn't speak that well, a bit like me, how I'm doing now, stuttering and all of that. Oh, please, not at all. <laughs> I think you're doing a much better job than he did. Yeah. <laughs> I had confidence in this man from, from then. And I had belief in Hughes. Hughes said all the right things in the press conference. Mm. And uh, he had something to prove as well. So it was kind of like him against the world as well, kind of, because uh, people were like laughing at him. QPR, you, you messed up so bad. Man City, mm. you had all those riches. You didn't do enough with it. So he kind of lost his credibility as a manager and he had to get that back what better place to do it than with us it was a mutually beneficial appointment and relationship and uh, it, it, it was perfect I, I, I think he tweaked the exact things that needed to be tweaked it was a process he gave everyone in that squad a chance Jones, Jerome Kitely, Shotton, everyone all of the players, Pennant he, he brought him back uh, with that uh, one year contract so he, he genuinely gave everyone a chance and he assessed the situation well. Whether it was him or his two men behind him, but they, they did a good job. I, I knew even in in February of 2014, so we were in the relegation zone at that stage, but I was seeing all the right signs from this team and I knew we weren't going down. 20 minutes into the match against Man United, so this was the day after the transfer window closed, so 1st of Feb. I just knew, I said, no way that this team is going down. We're going to come right. And we, we, we came so right. Mm-hmm. We really, we, we clicked. And it all came together. And we, we found our preferred uh, preferred team. Odomwini, Ireland, Amartovic, Crouch. Then you had Asaidi, Adam. It all just came together. Mm. Yeah, I, I loved it. I think they got it right that year. I was really proud for all of them. Absolutely, and then we set the foundations for really ramping up the plays you've heard of list. Boyan and Athalai and Munieza and eventually people like Shakiri and yeah. it, even Jack Butland who was like, I know he yeah. was signed by Pulis, but it, it was that sort of time where it was like, you know, we're an attractive club to come and join. And you wouldn't have said that as we'd have been promoted to the Premier League. We said that that team was more than the sum of their parts. But this team was becoming good in their own individual right this time. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, like you said, the foundation was built. We did well in in that uh, Hughes' first season. Uh, finished ninth, got, got uh, 50 points for the first time, which was a big thing for us made us attractive so we could get a player like Boyan a player like Mamedouf and so forth even Sidwell who not many people were keen on um, I, I thought was a good signing at the time I don't think he played that bad when he played but then again he, he wasn't Hollywood either but we, we managed to bring in some some good players and then the season after that Afalai Faseilu and Shakiri, and I love the Shakiri one because that really you could feel the tremors around the world with that yeah. timing. It yeah. really rocked the world. 
really it wound so many people up and uh, I loved it and I was thrilled to have a player like him yeah well I think we all were you know we tried to sign him that first time and everybody said you're not signing Jakiri I remember being at university at the time and I shared student digs with a Wigan fan and he was saying oh it looks like you're trying to sign Shakiri. <laughs> good luck with that and then he's just yeah. signed for Inter Milan and we're just like oh well that's 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 one dream over six months later turns up in Stoke doesn't he and it, it, it was just it was fantastic just to just to see that obviously things might have happened with him at Inter and maybe lost a little bit of reputation because of what happened there but I mean for him to go from Bayern to Inter to Stoke and the fact that he he will have seen it as a step down I suppose if you're going to call it that way but for him it was a chance to play in the Premier League and it was an attractive chance to play in the Premier League he wouldn't have joined us if he'd have thought we had any chance of going down and he said himself maybe he called it a little bit too soon definitely he did but he said I've come to the Premier League to win things and he wanted to qualify for the Champions League and he said he wanted to do that with Stoke and to be fair getting towards that 15-16 season we're talking about and and then just a little bit further on from that we very nearly did qualify for Europe again that's right yeah and Shakiri is a a topic I'm very happy to talk about because uh, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that link um, 2015 January 2015 that's the window where he signed for Milan mm. and uh, I saw this link and I'm like nah this journalist this is lazy journalism yeah. he's having a He's having a laugh. And then I thought John Percy put it. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's something. You know it's a rumour when John Percy puts it, don't you? That's right, that's right. (laughs) And then uh, I I saw, I I think it was uh, Not FM or or one of those, they put a tweet out quoting quoting, uh, Mark Bowen. Mm. And they had asked him about Shakiri, and he says, yes, it's true. Uh, The player you've mentioned, we are interested in him. And then I realised this is actually real and I just loved the audacity we had and we were in a good place we were in a good place where we could go and you know make a pitch to him come to us we're building something here Hmm. but it was still so audacious and when it happened I I just loved it I I was thrilled and also we didn't have a right winger bona fide right winger at the time Hmm. yeah uh, we had Walters playing the most of the time that season, so yeah. Uh, even though he's not the type of winger that I like, like I was talking about earlier, the mm. conventional type, mm-hmm. the fact that we had signed someone for his position made me very happy, and it felt like a puzzle had been completed where you had yeah. Anatovic, Boyan, and then that the right wing piece was missing, and now it's full by Shakiri. Uh, by Shakiri. Mm. Uh, talking about what you were saying uh, about about the step down and all of that, I think he wasn't keen on joining us initially, mm. but also impressed by the fact that we had the goal to ask him to sign. And I think he liked that because just before we signed him, I think Newcastle and Everton also tried to sign. Mm. And I think those were legit reports, but he wanted to sign for us. And he was there at the Liverpool, uh, the Liverpool game. And I think the Liverpool game before that, that Gerrard game, the Gerrard's last game, I think that might have also, you, he would have seen that and thought, okay, this team mean business. Mm. So it would have hurt his ego a little bit to join us, but I think he eventually, he respected us for it, and then he embraced it. And like you said, so does the chance 
to join the Premier League and uh, to be part of a project. And you know what? Even after relegation, people say a lot of things about Shakiri that he didn't care and he was lazy and stuff. He shouldn't have come out and said those comments he made, the Ronaldinho comments, you know, which mm-hmm. one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I really think Jordan Shakiri cared and he still cares about our club. I really do believe that. Yeah. You go on Instagram now and you go through those posts from the season and last season, you'll find he's still liking our posts. Mm-hmm. And now, it's not difficult to like a post on Instagram, no. but he doesn't even need to follow us. Yeah. And the fact that he, still, that he still does that, I think he was, as much as his ego was hurt with relegation, he, he felt hurt for the club and not just himself. I think he grew to really care for the club, even though he didn't want to sign fast. And I remember after our relegation, after our game against Swansea, so that was our last last game of the season, the last game he ever played for us. Hmm. There was a video of Stoke City post on their Twitter. And it, it was such a simple thing, but it made me so emotional. It was Shakiri taking off his shirt and giving it to a a fan, an elderly fan in the crowd and embracing him mm. and then it showed him just like clapping the supporters and I really think, I believe it was genuine, it might not have been I might mm. be reading it all wrong but I, I genuinely believe he cared and cares about our club and that really means something to me as a Stoke fan I can fully appreciate that You know, it's hard not to with a club like ours I think we mean it, as you said before us as Stoke fans and those who run the club, especially people like Coates, they care. Yes, the club has made and will make mistakes, but they're not through a lack of desire, I don't think. Complacency, maybe, but I think anyone can be complacent. That love for Stoke will have eventually rubbed off on Shakiri, especially during a time where we were doing so well. I mean, you could say the same about players like Bojan. He had no right to fall in love with Stoke City either. You know, from the club he come from, Barcelona, and keeping players like Henri and Ibrahimovic out out the Barcelona team, and he come to Stoke, and he was sometimes second choice. He was told that he had to adapt to fit in to fit with us. He could have quite easily walked out the door at that point, but they embraced us. Yeah, and uh, I was also touched by that. You you've touched on Boyan now, and absolutely no chip on his shoulder. He was supposed to be the next best thing. Mm. And uh, he found himself on loan at all these clubs, kind of faded in, into obscurity. And then we come calling and he comes to us. Yeah. And I thought, th- this this guy's an accomplished player. He still is an ac- accomplished player. He might have a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder. Nothing like that whatsoever. His personality is... His and Mark Muniesa is those two were were amazing, and they still are amazing. They still care about this club, and yeah. again, so these are top class European players. Uh, like you said, the whole community leadership of the club and just the mood around the club rubs off on so many players. What I find interesting is that players like um, Ricardo Fuller and Liam Lawrence and maybe some others are missing out. They haven't been with Stoke like all their lives. They're not from there, but I think they still live in and around the area, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
they've played for Sunderland, Portsmouth, Southampton, uh, I don't know which other teams, but they still feel such a strong bond with our club. Yeah. And it just just reaffirmed my, my conviction that there is something special about our club and it's not as ugly uh, as it appears maybe on the outside. It is a good club. And even if it is a bit stale at the moment, mm. or was stale recently, it's still and it always will be a good club and, and, and that's what makes me happy to be part of this club. Absolutely. And a lot of people will know that of you because if anyone sort of was in the sort of period during where Stoke were good, perhaps really good, I mean, you were blogging about Stoke, so you've written for people I'm gonna sort of send a throwback to four two three one Stoke when they were running and then was the dribble as well they evolved into. What made you go, okay, I'd love this team enough to write about them, I guess? I think it, it comes back to the same reason I want to do this podcast with you is I want to attach myself or feel attached to the club. Mm. Remember, I can maybe someone will come up to me, someone from here in Durban, just come up to me and say, you're wearing that shirt, you're a Stoke supporter, and we can get into a conversation about Stoke. But I can't get into that level of depth of a conversation mm-hmm. uh, with someone who doesn't support the club. I can only do that with someone like you. Mm-hmm. I can do that by expressing my views on paper or in writing. And it's it's something I care about. So that's why I want to do it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, big shout out to all those guys at um, uh, Wizards of Dribble and 4231 Stoke, David, Chris, Jace. All, all of them. I'm sorry if I'm missing someone out there, but mm. they've all been fantastic. And uh, I appreciate that they gave me a platform to uh, to air my views just as you're doing now. I remember your writing from, from back in those days. I was writing, I think, for, for those websites as well at that point. Um, I was so pleasantly surprised, actually, that yeah. uh, you remembered my stuff. So oh, that means a lot to me. Thank well, you. yeah, because it was a time where fan media as we know it now, was emerging into more of a digital platform. It was where Bear Pit TV started evolving into a much more thorough, deep platform. It was where 4231 Stoke started, as you say, and it was proper, in-depth Stoke writing, something that we'd only see maybe from the Sentinel or other people like that. Whereas the Dribble started, of course, the podcast, and, and that was the only sort of in-depth conversation that a lot of people would hear over the internet. Of course, people like the oat cake and dot magazine of, of course they were there and have been here for a while but it's that sort of digital platform then that started evolving and and i think people such as yourself who sort of were in the early beginnings of that people are going to remember that yeah no i really appreciate it i'm i'm glad uh, they made a good impression on on those like yourself who have who have read it it's something i I wanted to do and um, I haven't been able to do it the last few years because I think things have just been so complex in the footballing sense trying to understand what the problems are what's led to our demise or our downfall Mm. and it's it's actually been mentally draining trying to think (laughs) about all no seriously like you think is it is it the players mm. is it the hierarchy is it the managers is the are the fans being tripped are toxic is the whole thing rotten to the core 
which players, which formation should we be playing. It, 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 so many thoughts circulate in my head all the time. It, and I couldn't, you know, I'd actually started typing up possible blogs mm. and then backspacing them because yeah. I couldn't really pinpoint and make sense of all of this. It's, it, it's just such a mess. And so I began to feel detached again from um, from from the football club in that sense. Not that I don't care, but feel a bit uh, detached in, in in that sense. So that's why I haven't been writing blogs. Uh, another reason why I wanted to to come on this podcast and just talk about anything Stoke from pre-promotion to the actual Premier League to even cu- current affairs now. Well. I think I said it before, the way that we talked about Stoke in the last hour or so, like, yeah. so many memories have come flooding back to me. It Like, it, it's fantastic. I hope that anybody listening feels the same way. It's just mm. this, this wave of positivity. The time that we're in in the moment, I think, is a very negative time for everybody. Uh, f- forget the football. Yeah. <laughs> At the moment, we're all trapped inside. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice that we've, for me anyway, just had this hour of reminding myself and everybody else that you know there was good things and we'll have good things to look forward to again I'm sure and that sounds very deep considering but <laughs> it, it, no yeah, of course it was, will have good times, yeah. exactly and it was just so warm and so deep and you mentioned there about how difficult it was and is to write about Stoke when they're not playing very well and it's difficult and you're right it's for a number of reasons and I don't think it's I don't think one of those reasons is because you love the club any less. I think it's because you write. It becomes very convoluted. Like, fair play to anyone at the Sentinel or Wizards or anybody that produces content week after week saying, why is Stoke like this? <laughs> what have yeah. we done to deserve this? Where has it all gone wrong? Thankfully, as, as you touched on, we are picking up now. When the football season continues, whenever that may be, we have no idea at the moment. But hopefully that wave of positivity comes back to Stoke because I think we were just seeing glimpses of, you know, Stoke lost their identity over the last four years or so. We talked about that in in sort of great detail of what Stoke were about and we lost that and that was a big reason why we went down and lost all that success. I think that's the biggest reason actually. We lost our identity so bang on the nail on the head there. And you're bound to... A, lose some fans, anyone that was a casual fan is not going to see the benefit of supporting them, and then B, anyone who's hardcore is is going to feel cheated almost, like, you've taken something away that was, that I felt a relationship with, and that's no longer there, it's like you know, people talk about human beings changing and saying, like, people change, and like oh, well, this person, they've sort of grown up to be whatever and it was the same with Stoke it's like, you were used to having this sort of injection of positivity and fighting against the odds and and it was gone for a little bit I felt very numb for like a long time to results it was like I just felt empty watching this team Mm. even though the few times that we would win it just wouldn't feel the same yeah everything just like felt so confusing and and you knew even if we won this week the problems whatever they are they will resurface so yeah I did feel like that uh, period of like apathy and numbness towards uh, towards football it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast you know it was a time where you know 
lost the sense of who we were. I think a lot of people, including myself, were questioning why we support Stoke. And I'd like to think that this podcast has uprooted and re-revealed those times. So that's why I like to try and keep it positive on here and talk about A, the times that Stoke were good, and B, the reasons why Stoke are so good. And it, and it's you lot, you know, it's the fans, it's us lot rather. I'm no different to any of you. I feel exactly the yeah. same way about Stoke. And yeah. it's fantastic. Let's hope we see some of that positivity again. But in the meantime, shall we move on to the next stage of the podcast and throw back, I'm sure, to more memories and let's do the Files FC, right? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so, Shirag, I would like you to name your ultimate Stoke eleven of past or present. Ideally, this is one goalkeeper and two each of centre-back, full-back, midfielder, winger and striker. If you could give a reason for each one, that's great. Uh, anyone that's in the eleven gets a vote, and that goes towards the main Files FC, which you can find on the website. You can nominate subs if you want to. They are just honourable mentions, and they won't get votes towards the main team. But include them anyway, if you feel that anyone's not quite made the team. So starting with goalkeeper, I'm just going to get my notepad out so I can write these down. Uh, oh, okay. there you go, please, mate. All right. Um, so, yeah, I am going to name my best 11. I'm going to name it in a 4-4-2, as you've uh, suggested. Perfect. Someone who follows the rules. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I saw a few strange formations yesterday, actually, and I was a bit <laughs> puzzled. <laughs> no disrespect to those people, but I understand why they did that. Yeah. They wanted to shoot shoehorn all their favorite players. In. Yeah, I and I can understand that. And to be fair, I let anybody break the rules if you want to play 3-5-2. Hell, if you want to name 10 defenders, go for it. But at the end of the day, the way that I run this is... It's only the top two of each category that's going to be named in the main team. So if you want to name 10 defenders and vote for every defender and basically give everyone a level playing field, you go for it. But it's for those players, I guess, who who you want to see in the main team, I guess. Yeah, so this, of course, it's a 11 that you'd want to, all these players at their best, mm. you'd want to see them on the pitch at the same yes. time. Yeah. In an ideal world. Mm. So that's what I'm going to try and do. Okay. I feel a lot of affection and warmth towards a lot of Stoke players. Mm. There are very few that, that I feel ill-feeling or, or that haven't made a good impression on me. Like, uh, maybe, not like a, like a Hesse or an Mbula mm. who leave like a, like a bad impression. So I feel a lot of warm, warmth and affection towards a lot of players. So it wasn't easy to select uh, my no. team. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name seven subs as well. And I'll I'll uh, get to that after naming my eleven. Cool. So, so yeah, goalkeeper. This one was a, a straightforward one for me. Ironically, I like a lot of our keepers. Mm. I love Sorensen. I loved his penalty saving ability. Yeah. It's amazing. I loved yeah. him just just for that. Mm-hmm. And he was a good keeper. Whatever little I saw of uh, Simonson, I liked Jack Butler. And obviously, we know he's a good keeper. Mm. It's a little bit upsetting to see how his career has gone. Mm. But apart from that, um, this was a straightforward one for me, and it's uh, Asmir Beg- uh, Begovic. Mm-hmm. That would me, uh, be my keeper. I thought he was a, a very good keeper, very complete keeper, pulled off some great saves. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't vote for like a Gordon Banks not having seen him play, yeah. so uh, I'm just going to vote in that, in that man, the players that I've seen in my time. So, Asmir mm-hmm. Begovic, uh, my goalkeeper. Yeah. Right back, I'll go from right back, centre back, centre back, left back, and so forth. That's fine. 
Uh, I had to think a little bit about the right back position. I mean, you you got Wilco, obviously tough as nails. You could you could shoot him three times in the head, and he'd come to training <laughs> training the the next day. Yeah, uh, he had tough as nails. That guy, uh, I loved him. I think the best individual performance I've seen from a right back is Glenn Johnson in 2015-16. Mm-hmm. I thought his link up with Shakiri was so good. Yeah, but. The choice I'm going to go with is maybe a little bit unpopular, and it's a bit of a square peg in a round hole. And uh, I'm going to go for Jeff Cameron. Mm-hmm. I think he had some good games. I know there are some people who be like uh, scoffing at this and maybe not like my suggestion, but he's a player I thought that was technically very good mm. and uh, very versatile, and uh, he played some good games at uh, right back. Mm. He got quite a few assists, actually, yeah. um, if you think about it. A lot of them were for Crouch. I can think of uh, four goals from right back. He crossed and uh, Crouch uh, headed it in. So um, I liked Cameron, and uh, I liked him as a right back. So right back, uh, Jeff Cameron. Mm. Center backs, there's one name that that picks itself, of course, and that's Captain Fantastic, Ryan Shawcross. Mm-hmm. The guy's amazing. I think sometimes, specifically with me, I think I'm also guilty of this. He he's like almost always in the team, always on the team sheet. Sometimes you don't fully appreciate him. Just he's like taken for granted because he's always in the team. He's just always there. Mm. But he really is a fantastic defender. From 2010 to 2014, I thought he was one of the most consistent. Uh, defenders in the entire Premier League mm-hmm. yeah of course he had a big influence before that as well mm-hmm. in the seasons before that in our promotion season I think when he came on I think he came on loan and then signed or something like that a, a big part of our history and yeah. I think it's safe to say a club legend Ryan Shawcross this one I had to think about I had to think with my head and my heart I told you just before we kicked off the podcast that I've got an A4 size poster of Abdullah Fai. Yes. Hiding in my drawer. I'll pull that out a bit later and maybe I'll put it on my Twitter or something. Mm. I thought he was tough as nails in that first season. Mm-hmm. He was amazing, even in the second one. And even in the third one when he was in the team. But I'm going to go for Robert Huth here. Okay, I think their partnership, Huth and Shawcross, it was, well, it it was the longest one. It was a a very good one. It was one that made a lot of players in the Premier League quake in their boots. Mm-hmm. And uh, Huth on his own was such a good player. There were certain things I didn't like, like um, about Huth that uh, sometimes he'd put a ch- uh, a cheeky elbow in someone's face, or the one time he literally tried to stamp racism out of football Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so he was naughty at times I don't like that but his influence on our Premier League and our FA Cup and our Europa League uh, journey it's not lost on me and furthermore he was a natural goal threat Hmm. which is uncanny for a a centre back a bona fide centre back but he was good in front of goal so for that reason alongside uh, Shawcross I'll pick uh, Robert Hoop Hmm. Left back, I did think about Danny Higginbottom and uh, Eric Peters. I think those were the only two that I could really 
pick between. I've decided to go for Eric Peters because I watched him more. I think he's tough as nails with his uh, tackling. I think going forward as well, maybe a little bit underrated. Mm. And I, I know a lot of people questioned his crossing, and rightly so. But the good crosses that he did put in, I think it forgotten because no one puts him in the back of the net when they do come in. So mm. uh, sometimes those get forgotten. But I liked his link, uh, his link-up play with uh, with Marco. I thought they were on a on a good wavelength together. Mm. I liked those two together. I liked Eric. He's, he's another one that genuinely cares about the club. I don't know what happened in that re- relegation season with the, with the parking and the nightlife and all of that. Yeah. That happened in the relegation season. But uh, he, he's, he's someone uh, I consider very highly. So he would be my pick, Eric Peters. Okay. So that's my back four. So then four midfielders. Again, another round peg in a square hole because I have two left midfielders that I like very, very much. Oh, that's and I okay. can't, <laughs> I can't uh, leave one out for the other. So mm-hmm. I think I'm, I think you know where I'm going with this. So I'm going to put my right midfielder as Marko Arnautovic. Yeah. I think a very versatile forward. I think he could play, I know he preferred the left wing. I yeah. think he could play on the right wing. Yes, he did. Yeah, very well at times. I mean, we we remember that cross against Manchester City, uh, where we lost the game. But that cross is beautiful. Oh. I saw it in your eyes there. Yeah, you were thinking about just, it. it. Oh, was it's amazing. just amazing, yeah. wasn't it? It was a fantastic ball in, and then like uh, we beat Middlesbrough two 0 I think in 2017, he was playing on the right right there. He scored. Mm. Uh, two goals so there were games where he played well in that position yeah so not just necessarily that I'm just trying to shove him into the team but Mm -hmm. uh, I'll put uh, as my right winger uh, Marka Onatovic midfield again there's one obvious one here there's one that you can't leave out and that's uh, Steven Nzonzi Mm -hmm. fantastic midfielder maybe not the complete midfielder in his first season and maybe some of his second season. I know he himself admitted that uh, he was a little bit uh, reluctant to lose the ball, but he became a bit more bolder. And you could actually see that he was genuinely enjoying his his football. Mm. I remember the game against Aston Villa uh, where we won 4-1 at their place. It was either him or Odomwini who missed a chance. And they picked each other up and they were just laughing and stuff and, and it wasn't in a complacent way. It was in a way that you could see they were enjoying their football. And you saw that with Nzonzi as he moved through his stroke, his stroke career. Obviously in that last season was, was his best. Yeah, so I think the best midfielder we had in the Premier League era is Steven Nzonzi. Mm. Have to pick him. Yeah. The other central midfield berth was a bit uh, difficult for me to decide. It was between two players. I think the obvious one for a lot of people would be uh, Glenn Whelan. Mm-hmm. I think underrated for most of his time. But I'm actually going to choose Rory Delap mm-hmm. for the central midfield position. The obvious reason 
would of course be in this team I would want someone with his ability the long throw I, I think would do well yeah. with players like uh, the strikers that I will name and Anarjevic and Inzonzi and of course the two de- defenders I named I mean they would be licking their lips at the prospect of having to be on the on the end of a dilap uh, throwing mm-hmm. uh, but I also think he was underrated for his footballing ability I think he was better than he was given credit for he wasn't Hollywood mm. but he was better than he was given credit for yeah and he was quite good with his head as well I was watching some goals back actually the last week I've been going on to dug out uh, a lot and you'll be surprised Ben how many gems there are on dug out for Stoke there are so many goals from yeah. the Pulis era there it's mm. like a buffet uh, you should I'll send you some uh, uh, some links yeah yeah and he's got some nice headed goals as well and then there was that one against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge where he just definitely chipped the keeper mm. and it, it, it showed that there is some genuine quality about him as a footballer so I would put him in my team for the throws and for ability yeah left mid I think this might be my all time favourite Stoke player if I had to pick one Mm -hmm. and it would be uh, Matty Etherington yeah I thought he was superb in his first season second season the 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 FA Cup run season so consistent fast fantastic delivery could beat a man great corners great free kicks yeah I, I really love Matty mm. he has to be in my team yeah. so I'd have him in there as well yeah so that leaves just the strikers then I guess it does I've got to pick two strikers and there was three names that I was deliberating between and uh, I felt bad for the one I had to leave out <laughs> but the goal for is um, the first one would be Ricardo Fuller Mm-hmm. I would have to for his skill, his aerial ability, his strength. He was just so important for us in those first two seasons. Not just his goals, but he was involved in assisting quite a few goals as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I was watching the back on um, dugout. You remember the we- uh, the Whelan goal at Spurs. He mm-hmm. he started that Diaz goal at uh, Fratton Park. He mm-hmm. created that and so many more like that. And, and then, of course, that uh, goal at, at uh, Upton Park, oh, uh, where yeah. he took uh, three defenders on. <laughs> so that kind of flair and uh, complete package that I felt he was, I'd have to put him in there. Ricardo Fuller would be my first striker. Mm-hmm. My other striker would be Super John. Yes. John Walters. It would feel like a crime to not have him in the team, given everything he's done for us. And also, you could have the prospect of him switching with Marko Anarsevic mm. in this team. So he could play on the wing. I didn't like Walters on the wing, but no. he could do a job. Yeah. And he could cross a ball really well. And then, obviously, uh, he, his work rate was very good. I'd, I'd want strikers that would press defenders high up the pitch. And he's one of those who, who would do that. So. I picked Fuller and Walters as my strikers. So that mm-hmm. would be my 11. Yes. Uh, if I could pick a bench, yes. I would uh, pick the following seven players. Okay. Uh, Thomas Sorensen, Abdullah Fai, Glenn Whelan, Jermaine Pennant, 
Charlie Adam, Jordan Shakiri, and Peter Crouch. Very good. So yeah, that's my team. That is your team. I can see why you picked an awful lot of those players, to be honest. Like, I think you got into Stoke wholly as a fan pretty much a similar time to me. And there's a lot of players in that team that I'd have picked too. Without giving too much away, because I think one day I'd like to talk about my story on the podcast. Because I haven't quite done that yet. I've been doing it in little bits as we've been going along, but one day I'd like to do one of these on my own. How I do that, God knows. I'm, um, I'm happy to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'll take you up on that. But uh All right. But yeah, it's um the thing with Anatovich and Everlington, without giving too much away about my team, I think I'd have done exactly the same thing, you know. Though there's a reason why I say two each of centre back, fullback, midfielder, winger and striker. Like obviously people break the rules and pick three midfielders, ten defenders, whatever, right? But <laughs> you know, yeah. if you want to pick two wingers, it doesn't have to necessarily be left and right, I think, yeah those two for me were quality as were a lot of those players you know we talked about character they were the reasons why Stoke was so good I think in addition to those players a lot of the reasons why Stoke was so good were the fans right you said that you're a Stoke fan and that you're probably one of the few in South Africa that must be difficult I suppose and you get your fix online particularly with I assume all the media outlets that are going about these days, I guess it's got a lot easier over the years with maybe podcasts like this and Wizards and The Sentinel and then Duck Magazine and things like that. And there's a lot of fans talking on Twitter now. Uh, There's all sorts of channels where you can go and talk about Stoke, no matter where you are in the world. I guess my question is, how would you like to interact with Stoke City going forwards? I mean, do you want to talk to even more fans? Do you want to, I don't know, write more one day? Do you want to go and see a Stoke game properly one day? That's definitely on the bucket list. That's yeah. number one on the bucket list is <laughs> to see a Stoke game in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, ideally, when I get there, I'd like the atmosphere to be how it was in 2008-2009 uh, with the mm. loudest fans in the league. And that was, like you were saying, the fans are so important to making the players bed in and, and fit in. But also for spurring them on in games. I would love to go to the Bet365 stadium to an atmosphere just like that. I definitely want to to go to a Stoke game for sure. I can see why. For a lot of reasons, my own reason why I fell in love with Stoke in the first place, I think, was just the atmosphere in the stadium. I'd never heard anything like it. I don't know if you watch other sports over where you are, live or not, but even people that have seen other games of football for bigger clubs and bigger stadiums will say that they've heard, in their peak anyway, maybe not so much these days, but in their peak, there was nothing like going down to the Britannia Stadium, and home fans were were so engaged and supportive there, and the away fans and players were terrified. You could sense it too, and I I think even one of the Arsenal players uh, even admitted it. I can't remember which one. I think... Was it Adebayor? I think it might have been him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was on about yeah. the boots clanking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even they admitted it. But you, you, you could see it, you could sense it, you could feel it, that they were scared mm. of the players themselves and the atmosphere. They knew how powerful our support was. And sometimes the, just the support itself almost 
push the ball into the goal sometimes. Yeah. That's how good the support uh, of Stoke City was in the Premier League era. Do you think you see part of Stoke's identity and the fans' identity, I guess, in yourself? I guess so, maybe subconsciously, in in a word, yeah, I I, I think I do. And again, I, I think that's a lot of reasons why people follow Stoke and support Stoke. They see that fight in ambition in themselves. Again, I... I speak about the area and how they were underdogs, and I've mentioned this so many times, but we really are a true reflection on the area, and I think that's great. Okay, a couple of other things that I think we forgot to mention earlier, uh, but I think they're still relevant now. Considering all that we've talked about, we talked about all those good times. I know something that you wanted to talk about before we started today. Your favourite Stoke goals. Do you want to run through perhaps your top however many? I think I'll pick a a few out yeah. that were my favourites and uh, then maybe pick a winner from those Yeah, I don't know if I can rank them but I'll pick a winner yeah, at yeah, least yeah, sure. yeah. I think let's start with the Tony Pumas era there was one goal from Ricardo Fuller against Wigan it's odd it doesn't get talked about ever mm. we always talk about Birmingham and uh, West Ham and Aston Villa goals but this goal against Wigan was really quite good he had to twist and turn inside out two Wigan defenders before pushing the ball past I think it was Al Habsi in the Wigan goal but the way he did it was so good he was collecting a long ball over the top and uh, he had to really like shrug these defenders off go one way go the other way wrong foot them and have that composure to put the ball in the back of the net I, I thought it was quite a good goal obviously the the one against Villa has to be there as well so those two from uh, Ricardo Fuller have to have to be on my uh, on my list mm-hmm. there was a nice one again Ricardo Fuller scored against Portsmouth in 2000 and the 2009-2010 season it was a give and go I think between two players it was a quick move it was a short move but uh, I think it was Etherington, Whitehead and Fuller. Mm. There was some quick passing between them and Fuller put it in the far corner. It was a, a very nice goal. I put that there. Probably my favourite tap-in of all time, Salif Diawa Fratton Park. <laughs> I like that one because it was so unlikely that he would be the one to win and in that fashion mm. in the last minute. And he really bust a gut to get there. Uh, in that position to score. I like that one. Tunchai's one against United, I went absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And I mean absolutely bonkers. <laughs> that, that that would be one of those football moment, football moments that uh, precede unfortunate events. I think <laughs> that would fall in there for sure. But uh, it was a very nice goal and... Um, I was getting a lot of stick from my uh, United supporting friends, especially those um, when I was supporting United, we used to watch games together and stuff like that. Mm. So I I wanted to keep him quiet, so I I wanted to win that game. And we played well in that game, and I I felt we deserved our equaliser, but that goal was so good. And similar to uh, Rick's goal against Birmingham, I thought it was a nice goal, so I picked that one. Of course, the crowd folly. Yeah, you'd have to pick that one against Man City. That's a classic. Yeah, you know, uh, funny enough, this morning on on the 
Premier League Twitter account, they posted one of the Stoke goals. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, I did, yeah. I think it uh, was a Jones uh, back, back heel. That's it. Uh, against Southampton. Yeah. It was, and I was so impressed with their account because it was such an obscure goal for any ordinary Premier League fan to remember. So I was surprised that they would put it on their account. Yeah. But it was a nice one. I liked that one. Jerome's uh, hit and hope thunderbolt that he hit against Southampton in the, in the last minute. That 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 one has to go on the list. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the Hughes era, there were two in particular in uh, Hughes's first season, and th- this one will probably be my favourite goal. Was Charlie Adams' goal against Man United in 2014? I don't know if you remember. It was the winner. Mm. We won the game two one. But it was the importance of the goal, first of all, not the fact that it was United, the fact that we were 18 at the time, and this was a match-winning goal, and it was so well struck. He just almost arrowed it. There was no kernel on the, on the ball whatsoever. He just arrowed it in so well into the into the far corner. Mm. Great goal. Might be, it might actually be my favorite Stoke goal. And there was another one he scored at, at the Hawthorns on the last day and uh, that took us up to ninth place and it was in the last few minutes against our domestic rivals if you can call them that mm. and it was a great strike too um, I really enjoyed that one so those two from Charlie Adam I'm trying to think I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to think from 2016 if there's anyone in particular that I like I think the Shikiri one has to be there the one against Everton, the lob, mm. has to be on that list. Yeah. What I find so strange is how many people actually think that goal was supposed to be a cross. I mean, <laughs> beggars believe. I don't usually say offensive things, but it, that is such a stupid notion to actually think that. <laughs> it really is. Tell me something, Ben. Boyan plays a ball, right? It's curving away from the goal, right? Yeah. Shakiri's on his wrong foot. Yeah. You're telling me with his wrong foot, he's going to try and square a ball running away from him, <laughs> behind him, to a teammate when he can lob the keeper Yeah. with the weaker foot. That's the only thing he could have done, really. Mm. Either that or take another, another touch with mm. the right foot. It was clearly a intentional. Mm. I don't know what people are smoking if they think of that. <laughs> I don't know if there's any um, I'm missing. I enjoyed the Hesse one against Arsenal. I, yeah. I don't know Hesse was a, not the greatest of uh, players to ever grace our stadium, but um, I enjoyed that moment. And of course, the uh, celebration, if you, if you see the photo of those uh, two guys falling down the stairs, yeah. I don't know if you know which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I know the one. So, yeah, I enjoyed that goal. I can't think of any others, but if I had to pick an absolute favourite, I'd pick Adam's goal against United. I felt it was so important to the rest of our season, and I just loved the way the ball went into the net. It was a great strike. So I'd pick that one. I think that's a great answer, you know, considering that how many goals you mentioned there and how many others could we mentioned. I mean... Yeah. against Rochdale oh, yeah. there's just so many goals we could have had there I think you picked a good one and, and you give good reasons to the fact that it, it wasn't just the fact that it was a good goal it was the fact that it was an important one too 
it changed our season. It really did. Absolutely. It was very important. Yeah. So that's that. That would be my number one pick. Uh, that goal, Definitely. Adam against United. Yeah. Well, you know what? This podcast has been fantastic. It's threw me right down memory lane, and it, I've completely lost track of time. The fact that we've been talking about Stoke's history and well, their recent history anyway for for so long and in such detail, I've I've enjoyed it so much. It's been fantastic. But as I say. I am losing track of time, and I'm aware that listeners may be feeling, okay, uh, <laughs> we've been listening for a yeah. while, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move on into the final questions. Shirag, this is a question that I ask everybody. I'm going to ask you, if you had the chance to work at Stoke City in any capacity, where would you choose? I noticed you asked, um, well, that episode I told you that I was listening to yesterday, so I knew the question was coming. Mm. I didn't know how to answer it. And I thought one of two things, um, either something administrative or something to do with like uh, the accounting side or something okay. like that, because that's kind of my background. Okay. That's what I uh, studied. Either that or the grounds uh, groundsman. Mm. So I could leave 100% on that pitch, ah. literally. <laughs> so... so, so. <laughs> So, so two very different roles then, and to be fair, both are entertaining because one, as you say, being a groundsman, you could definitely have some fun with that, and two, think of the big sums of money you'd see coming through for some of these players, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, well, uh, maybe less funny seeing how how much that some of these players are getting played as well. That might be an interesting sight to see. Yeah, two answers, two that we've not heard of as well, I think. So yeah, if I force you to pick one from them too. I, it would probably be the the admin or the accounting. Yeah. Something yeah, something behind the scenes. Okay. That yeah. I'd be best suited for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Now I'm going to open the stage to you. So I understand that we've talked a lot about Stoke in this podcast, but if there's anything that you want to share, anything you want to discuss, feel free to shout out and go for it. Yeah, well, I, I think we covered so much about my experience as a Stoke supporter throughout this podcast. We've been chatting for so long, but uh, <laughs> it feels like a, a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, the, the times, it's just uh, flown dur- during this conversation. I think maybe one thing that I would talk about is I've got an idea for a blog post that I want to do. Okay. And uh, I mentioned it to you uh, yesterday in the blueprint, mm. and I, I think I might go ahead with it. I don't know which platform I'd um, broadcast it on, mm-hmm. but it would be in recent times certain myths or misconceptions or ideas I don't agree with yes. about certain players, certain theories about why we went down, mm. certain narratives maybe that have been written which I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. So that's something I want to explore. So maybe look out for that. Um, possibly, actually thinking about it on on your site, you've got a a space for for blog posts. Mm. So I might actually do that. Yeah, actually I will do that. So keep oh. an eye out for that. Oh well, there you go. There's a little sneak peek for you. One that I didn't see coming either. Yeah. yeah. In that case, keep your eyes and ears open because uh, we'll have a first yeah. guest blog, I think. Not actually had one yet in the year we've been open, so this is exciting for me too. Yeah, keep your eyes and ears open for a blog then, in that case. Someone else to look forward to in this period of being stuck indoors. That's great. Okay, so uh, any shout outs you want to give to anybody while you're here? Anyone that you might have been following online? or? Well, shout out to 
well, all the Stoke fans. I mean, I, I'm proud to be, even if it's just passively supporting the club from afar. I'm really proud to to be a part of this community, this fan base. I think it's a fantastic fan base. Sometimes some strange things get said online that I don't necessarily agree with, but mm. at the end of the day, we all want what's best for our football club. We just have different visions of how that can be achieved. Mm. So just a shout out to any Stoke fans listening around the world. I'd love to connect with any of you guys. Just keep supporting the club the way you have been. Vers Unisofortia. Vers Unisofortia, exactly right. You know what I was I was going to say about this podcast that we've perhaps not talked about you as a person a lot on this but actually I take that back I think the way that you've talked about Stoke and how passionately you've talked about them and telling us your favourite moments and how you felt in that moment and what you were doing you said you went and hugged your grandma even though you wouldn't have done that normally <laughs> like yeah. we've learned a lot about you Shirag and you know just how passionate you are considering that you weren't even a fan you were the fan of a different team and we've learned a lot about your personality and how you feel about things by making that switch and I think that's fantastic you asked if I want to give any shout outs oh yes uh, go on I forgot the most important one and uh, that shout out is to you Ben oh. I think you're doing a fantastic job uh, you're very approachable very friendly always willing to engage with other Stoke fans not all of them uh, are like that you, you speak very well you give good well thought out reasoned opinions about things to to do with the foot, uh, football club. So, big shout out to you and keep uh, doing what you do. Oh, thank you very much. I actually really appreciate that. It, like, look, I I do what I do because I love Stoke. It's given a lot to me over the last, mm. I'd say, ten years of my life. And so, yeah. had a massive effect on what I've done, who I am the things that I've thrown myself into, the things that I've been able to distract myself from, and, and this platform's one of them. And the main reason why I started this platform is because you lot, the fans, are brilliant. And I do the easy work on this podcast. I sit back and I ask you questions and I listen to them and I edit back afterwards and I upload it and that's it. You lot do all the hard work by reciting all your stories, all your passions, all your experiences, and I just love listening to them all. I wouldn't have done it all this time, asking all these questions, spend all, all these hours in the cutting room, if I didn't love it. And and it's people like you, sure, are people that come on and, and sort of talk about the podcast, and I, I think it's fantastic. So as much as I appreciate you thanking me for giving up my time and effort for making this platform in the first place and asking Stoke fans about what they do, the reason I do it is because you lot are brilliant. You really are. And, and I agree. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really grateful that I've got you lot in my life. It's fantastic. I'd love to come back on here at any stage uh, if if you'd have me. Yeah. I, uh, hey, look, it I'm, would be great. I'm sure we can think of specials, and there'll be there'll be other opportunities down the line. I'm trying to think all the time about what else I can do with this platform. I know that I do like specialist interviews, one on one like this, but eventually, I'd I'd like to talk about new things there's a couple of ideas i have a couple of those ideas are put on hold a couple of these ideas have been done and whether i need to rethink them and improve them or whatever i i don't know but 
that that offer goes to anyone that's sort of been on the podcast already if you're listening and you think you've got something else to say and you want a round two of this let me know like just just go for it if you've got something new to say something we've missed the same goes for you Shirag and anybody go another round two and there's definitely more to come don't think that just because you've been on here once don't think you can't come on again but as I always say there is one final question Shirag and I wonder if you know what the answer is yet I'd like you to describe your Stoke City story in three words for the title please I think there are three words good um, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use them they're not they're not uh, swear words but it's Even it's the motto <laughs> it's, the, it's the motto of this of of the city am yeah. I allowed to? Yeah. okay great Vis Unita Fortio Vis Unita Fortio you know not, ju- not just not just words to me they are it's a great uh, motto and uh, yeah have at it open field you know like I think you're absolutely right if it means a lot to you then 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 that's what it means and it means a lot about the club we talked about some of the parts and being bigger we talked about the city and how sort of the six towns and the people come together to make something and it's more than what people think and we prove them wrong but you know what it's this podcast too like I say I couldn't do any of this without you lot this this little platform I've got you lot are great and you lot make this podcast United Strength really is stronger and it's fantastic mm-hmm. and with that I think that's a perfect place to close file 24 of the wow 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 files uh, firstly thank you Shirag you said at the start you were a bit nervous and you were worried about <laughs> you know falling over your words and stuttering and not producing yourself eloquently but I think you've done fantastically well you know the vivid detail you've gone into about Stoke I think is wonderful and I really appreciate you coming on and giving such a wonderful throwback about Stoke and taking up my time during this uh, during this lockdown quarantine period that's going on at the moment but absolutely wonderful to talk to you thank you so much for coming on and talking about that Shirag. Well thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to to come on here like I said at the beginning this is my first live interaction with the Stoke City fan and um, I'm glad to have had this experience and I'm glad to I've shared it with you, and it's uh, something that I'll uh, treasure for for a long time. Good. Well, and and hopefully you do something like this again, whether it's with uh, this podcast or whether it's with other Stoke City platforms, whether it's with other Stoke City fans. You, you, like we're all fantastic. Like I'm part. I'm a small part of this massive Stoke community. You know, it's it's absolutely brilliant, and you're part of it as well as as much as anybody is, and you're all great and. Just a reminder to everybody listening that the show relies on people like you to come and share your story too. If you want to appear on the YYY Files like Shirag and create your file, head to the website at the com. Shirag said that he was a bit anxious about coming on the show, you know. He said he wasn't sure whether to do it. Uh, you know, he said he never s- spoke to a Stoke fan live before, let alone put his voice on the internet for people to hear. But I think he's done that incredibly well. And if you're a little bit worried about coming on a show because you're worried about this being on the internet or you're worried about not putting yourself across eloquently enough you'd be surprised about how well you put yourself across i think shark's on tremendously and i hope he's surprised himself because he's he's been fantastic and and i think you would as well but i understand that not everybody wants to do that if you enjoy the file and you want to hear more subscribe on your favorite podcast platform go back and listen to the previous files if you haven't already but most importantly tell your friends about the show the more this grows the more people will listen the more people will want to come on and the more interviews that i can give 
and the more episodes that I can give to you. You, you know, I, I rely on Stoke fans to keep this going at the end of the day. It's the only thing that will stop me. The football might stop, but there's always fans to talk to. So I understand at the moment a lot of you will be listening during this sort of quarantine lockdown period. Perhaps this is the perfect time for some of you to come on and talk about Stoke. Well, there's not a lot else to do, let's be real. Throw yourself back to a good time. And of course, talk about yourself, which is the easiest thing that anybody can ever talk about. You tell your own story best. Come and find us on social media at the Files or send an email to the files at mail.com. Again, all addresses and handles have no dashes, no spaces, and no caps in them. That just seems to say one more time. Thank you, Shirag. Thanks so much, Ben. This unit of 40. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and, and until the next one. But don't forget, it could be your file one day. As Shirag said, this unit of 40. Handsome man